Reach Young Adult Ministry Sermons online from Tuesday, August 18th, 2020 by Philip Jackson, pastor to young adults at Evergreen Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, entitled Walking in the Light from 1 John, chapter 1 through chapter 2, verse 2. Um, so I want to share something with you guys before I, before I teach. Um, so a, uh, a few, just, I mean, I just feel like I need to share it so we have enough runway. Um, a few weeks ago, I guess about a month ago, we had what we called Camp Encounter here on campus. And um, we had about 300 uh, teenagers that came and had camp here at Evergreen. And it was awesome. And it was a picture of what, uh, what could happen when churches uh, collaborate together. It was, it was amazing. Um, the product, the, one of the products of that week was um, I have been praying privately about what God wants for Reach and what he wants for us as a group for the future. Um, you guys know my heart that I believe that, uh, that our generation specifically is going to face persecution like we have not seen for, for many, many years years, hundreds of years, we haven't seen persecution like this. As our culture begins to shift away from godly principles, it's going to get more difficult for us to, uh, to exist peacefully with the world. And so um, as that has kind of taken shape and as, I, we start, have, as we have started to see our culture move, what's been incredible to me is that at Camp Encounter, I got, some time, got to spend some time with um, other young adult pastors and people who are working with college students uh, across the metro, we begin to have conversations about what would it look like if we began to look out for the Big C Church and invest in each other, in each other's ministries and what God's doing. Um, because the truth is that if you've grown up at a church like Evergreen, you may feel comfortable here, but also it may be a place where you don't feel like you can st- be stretched. It may be super uh, old for you. And so we have had, we've seen success where we have had young adults attend other groups in the metro, and they have seen God move in their life in powerful ways. And by the same token, we have seen young adults from other churches come to reach and experience God in the community here and also be touched in incredible ways. And so we have begun to work on a collaborative project. So starting next month, on the 20th of September, we are going to be gathering with... Uh, Four other ministries, the TCC BCM, uh, Crossing at uh, BCC, which is in Bixby. Um, And then also there's a young adult ministry based downtown called the Upper Room Collective. And so we have begun talking about working together and meeting regularly to have a joint worship night. So there's going to be differences in uh, some some theological pieces, but the truth is that we need to be focused on what is going to unite us and not what divides us. And so we begin praying about this, and we come from all different walks of life, all different denominations. And think about this. TCC is the largest university in the state of Oklahoma. It is. And most of those students, they stay here because, let's be honest, a free associate's degree is a pretty nice deal. So the... uh, we have this massive mission opportunity right here in our backyard. And so mark your calendar, September the 27th. We're going to be going downtown to do this. Um, 
at in the upper rooms uh, building in downtown. And so just put that on your calendar on the 20th, 20th of September. It's the 20th of September. Um, so that's coming. Details are going to be coming out soon. Uh, let's see, what else? Again, next week, like Taylor said, next week we're not going to be here. I'll put the details for um, going over to Crossing uh, on recruitment. So um, if you would open your Bibles to John chapter, 1 John chapter 1. So a little bit of context here. You guys know I love context. They say in seminary that the two most uh, accurate answers you'll ever give in Bible school is context and uh, Jesus. Those are the two best answers. Context and Jesus. What does this mean? I don't know. It just depends on the context. Exactly. Okay, so why does this matter? So uh, John uh, is uh, the one that we know as the one that Jesus loved. Okay, that's how he describes himself in his, in his uh, testament of the gospel. And so John goes on to lead the church in different ways. Uh, remember, John is the only disciple that doesn't, that doesn't end up being martyred for his faith. He ends up exiled on the, on the island of Patmos where he lives out his days to old age and he dies. This is the only disciple that did not abandon Jesus when he was crucified. And as a result, Jesus turned over the responsibility of his mother and his family to John. Not to his brothers, but to John. So John is someone that Jesus loved dearly. And so John ends up, he ministers to uh, what we know as, uh, as Western Asia, as the Eurasian uh, area. This is modern-day Turkey. And so one of the cities uh, in that area is Ephesus. So John ends up spending some time in Ephesus doing ministry. And as a result, there is this movement at this point in history of these, these people called Gnostics. Gnostics. So Gnostics basically were teaching that uh, God, the God of the Bible, Jesus and all of that, was basically, they started to bend the gospel. And they begin to say things like, Jesus wasn't fully God. He had to just be kind of like a demigod. And they begin to separate the physical world from the spiritual world and started to say things like, well, when we die, um, we're not going to have to worry about physical bodies anymore. We're just going to be kind of these ethereal spirits floating around with maybe, you know, harps and, and angel wings. But the truth is they started to bend the gospel, the truth of the gospel, that God meant to save you, not just your spirit, but he meant to redeem every part of you. So we've talked about before how sin corrupts us in all three parts of our nature, our body, our soul, and our spirit, and how sin has this continual grinding on us to where eventually we will physically die. But the reason why uh, the Bible says that we are going to be resurrected in Christ is because God is always, he always meant for you to be the way that you are, a physical creature with a body, a soul, and a spirit. So, so John writes this letter. He, he, um, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know, back several generations ago, it was really common for people to write pamphlets or essays that would be distributed around for publication. Okay, This is just a general statement for people to be able to, to learn something, kind of like a quarterly, what you would see. Like when you, If you're in college and you're reading um, science quarterlies or political science quarterlies, things like that, these are publications that people have written to contribute to a, uh, a pool of thought, okay, a pool of knowledge. And so John writes this letter to all the churches surrounding Ephesus. And it's kind of a general description. He's trying to set something straight about what does it mean to be a child of God? 
What does that look like? Because the Gnostics were trying to tell people, oh no, you're never, the, this whole redemption thing about you being right with God and, and all these other things, they started to add on additional things to the gospel and they began to bend it. It was pretty common back in this time period, uh, people would try to associate the, the God of the Bible, the Trinity, like they would see the Greek gods, like what they would see on Mount Olympus. Okay, So you have Zeus, and you have Mercury, and you have Hades, and you have all these Poseidon, all these other gods, this family of gods, Okay, this, this a pantheon. So people began to associate the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the same way. In fact, in 350 A.D., about, um, this led to the very first major division in the church called the Arian Controversy. Okay, so this is something that's really important because we live in a generation today that is constantly questioning the truth of God's word. Remember the first lie, the first thing that Satan tried to get Eve to think about in the Garden of Eden when she was being tempted with the fruit? He said, did God really say that? Right, so it's important for us to be able to see the truth. See the truth because the truth is the only thing that doesn't change. So check this out. We're going to start in 1 John chapter 1. We're going to read all of chapter 1. It's not a whole lot of verses. And then we're going to read the first two verses of chapter 2. Okay? So check this out. We'll start in verse 1 here. We'll read the first four verses. He says, What was from the beginning, what we have heard and what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that life was revealed, and we have seen it, and we testify and declare it to you in eternity. You, you, to you, the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you, so that you may also have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Okay, let me pause for a second. So, so one of the things that was really important to John was that people saw Jesus correctly. Okay, if you read these verses, these first, this introduction, go back and you read the introduction for the book of John, the gospel according to John. He focuses on this idea of Jesus, and he describes him as the Word. He describes him similarly here as life, as light. Okay, so the first thing we want, I want you to see here is that we need to understand where we come from. Okay, who, who are we talking about? John says, check this out. He's reminding them of what we have experienced from God. So he begins by talking about how credible he is as a messenger. Look at verse 1. He says, what was from the beginning? Okay, let's pause right there. So the, so the word what, the very first word in this letter, in other words, the Greek actually can be translated the one who was. Okay, so he's talking about Jesus. What was from the beginning? Saying the one who was from the beginning. Okay, and then he says, he, talking about this, he says, what we have heard physically here, what we have seen physically seen, what we have observed, now observed is an, interesting, is an interesting word here because the difference in the Greek here between being seen and observing is critical observation. Okay, I see you right now, for instance. There's a difference between seeing and looking. You know what I'm talking about? It's like when you are, you're, you're generally looking through a crowd and there's just people but then you're looking for someone, you're examining faces and features and you know, how people walk. You're looking for that person, whether you see their face or the back of their head, you're looking for them. He's saying, not only did we see these things, not only did we hear these things, not only did we observe and we watched him. 
We watched him critically. This is the same John that saw Jesus get transfigured on the mount. He knew exactly who Jesus was. This is his inner, inner circle. He says, we observed him. He studied him with critical eyes. He looked closely. But then also it says this, he says, that we, we, but we touched him. The Greek here means that they, to verify by physical contact. So this is really important. So remember who we're talking about here. The Gnostics said that they would say that, that the physical world is separated from the, from the spiritual world. The spiritual world, world is the only thing that matters, but the physical world is basically just a throwaway. So the idea of a Gnostic was that if I can just suffer through, if I can just try to find ways to practice some sort of a, 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 a good character trait, that somehow in the end it's going to be worth it because when I graduate from this physical contaminated body, I'll just be a free spirit. What, what John is saying here is that when Jesus came back after he resurrected from the dead, he wasn't just a spirit. If you go back and you read the accounts of him in the upper room when they were waiting to see what God was going to do next, Jesus shows up and he says, hey, guys, what are we having for dinner? And he eats food, literally eats food. Remember the whole thing about Thomas doubting Thomas? He says, I won't believe he's resurrected until I can put my fingers in, the, in his side and in the scars on his hands. He's saying, this really happened. He says, I am a credible witness. And he says, all of this is concerning the word of life. Look at the end of verse one. He says, all of this, he says, uh, observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. He's talking about Jesus specifically. So what did they observe? Look at verse, verse two. Verse two says that life was revealed and we have seen it and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. So they observed true life. He's saying that through his firsthand experience with Jesus, he experienced divine interaction in his life. He's saying not only did we see him, not only did we hear him teach, not only did we study him critically, not only did we put our physical hands on him, know that he was real and tangible, but that experience was like being with the Father himself. He says, our lives are different. This is rubber meets the road reality. Jesus is real. What he did was real. This isn't just an ancient story in a manuscript somewhere that somebody creatively wrote. This is not the Odyssey. This is not Pilgrim's Progress. This is not some figment of someone's imagination. This isn't the Chronicles of Narnia. This is real flesh and bones actually happened. He is saying, this is credible. And when we experienced it, it changed our lives. But why does this matter? Look at what he says in verse 3. He says, out of all these things, talking about we experienced life, he says, what we have seen and heard, we also declare to you so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John's saying that this has to be shared. I've got to share this with you. Because what, what we experienced by being with Jesus, I've got you to know, you have to know this. Not just because you need to know Jesus, but because this is transforming us into something different. This is so mind-blowing. You have to know this. 
And not only do you experience fellowship with God, but you have fellowship with us. He's saying, look, I put my hands on him. I put my eyeballs on him. I was with him in the boat when he calmed the storm. I have seen the scars in his hands. I eat dinner with him after he was resurrected, and I saw him ascend into heaven in Acts chapter 1. And he's saying, guys, this changed my life, and this is real. But the thing about it is this this didn't stop when he ascended into into the heavens. He says, this same experience that we felt with him in person, I experience now, and I want you to do it with me. This is big. This is really big because what this means is that what God has promised in Jesus is available to us right now in this moment. This year is the year of transformation for us. Okay, And we've seen a lot of just garbage this year, haven't we? The truth is that transformation comes through hard things. Right? When, when, when a jeweler is purifying metal, gold or silver, they heat it up so hot that the impurities rise to the top and then they skim it off the top so that they can purify the metal. This year, as we have been going through the year of transformation, is the same way for us. God, in all of us, in different ways, he has begun to turn up the heat. But here's the thing that that we miss, is we think that the suffering is the only part of our experience with God. John is saying that there is real transformation that happens here. And it's, it's just as practical for us today as it was for him when he walked with Jesus on the road. He says, it matters what we saw because you, it has to be shared with you. But look what comes with it. Look at verse 4. He says, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. If this is true, the sharing this means that it's going to complete the, their joy. It means that the opposite is also true. Think about this. He says, joy comes when I'm right with God and I have fellowship with his people and with him. That means that the opposite of joy, despair, comes when we are not right with God and we are not with his people. Now we've set, we've set the stage here. We've, we've laid a foundation of what he's going to say next. See, in our generation, it's convenient for us to attack the people in the church. I'll be honest with you, a lot of times that's warranted because people are, are terrible sometimes. They are. And they hurt you. But I love, I love the truth of this simple statement that hurt people hurt people. And they say things and they do things because they are hurt and they are trying to find some way to validate themselves. And they don't do it on purpose, but they do it. And it causes everybody to be hurt. It's like when you were a kid and your sibling would, would pinch you or poke you or hurt you in some way. What do you want to do? I'm going to hurt him back. Why did you do that? Well, he hit me first. Hurt people hurt people. But the dangerous part, though, is that if someone doesn't have actual relationships in the church or in the Christian community, they're going to use generalities to attack the church, whatever that means. And they're going to describe their criticism. But this scripture right here, these first four verses of 1 John, it says that if we have experienced the transformational life change that comes from the gospel, we will find joy to be with God and with his people. 
What this tells me is that the church is not optional. It's not optional. Your, your commitment to a body, your participation in church is not watching a live stream of a, of a, preacher, of a preacher. It's not. Your responsibility to be a part of a church does not stop with you writing notes in a notebook or even with you reading your Bible on a daily basis. This says that if we are right with God, we will have joy when we are with fellowship with his people. Now, we have a lot of peers who love, they love to throw rocks at God's people. And the truth is that when we're out there, we're trying to blend in with the crowd that's throwing rocks. Yeah, we might be there with them, but we're going to be uncomfortable the entire time because we know we need to be on the receiving end. I want to encourage you guys in this, that where we come from is important, that our community is important. And if there is something that disconnects you from the community of the, of the church, there's something wrong in your life. Because this scripture says that you should have joy when you're with his people, that you should have joy when you're with him. This is where we come from. Now let's talk about who we are. Okay. Now we're going to get into, get into some, some sketchy territory here. So let's, let's read these last couple of verses of, of chapter 1, starting in verse 5. It says this. It says, we're getting into the meat of the message now. He says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and we are not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. The first thing what you see here is in verse 5, it describes God as light. We talked about him in the context of light a little bit this year. When we were going through James chapter 1, and when we, when we, if you um, go back through and you read John chapter 1, the, chap, the first chapter of the Gospel of John, he describes him more fully there as light. In John chapter 3, you guys remember the story where he meets Nicodemus at night. And at the end of chapter 3 of John, he describes two kinds of people. He says, Nick, let me tell you something. There are two kinds of people in this world. There are those who are of the darkness and those who are of the light. And those who are of the darkness, they don't want to be in the light because they want to hide. Because they can see that their deeds are evil. And that they're corrupted and they're hurting people. They're hurting themselves. And guess what? We don't want to talk about those things because they make us feel bad. The reason they make us feel bad is because that's the Holy Spirit trying to tell us, hey, there's a better way to do life. But Jesus says the other kind of people, the ones who are in the light, they love to be in the light. Why? Because their deeds can be clearly seen. See, here's the the truth about this whole light and darkness thing. Is that if we live in darkness, what happens is that our sin has power over us. Because we want to hide. And it controls our mind. We obsess over it. We think about it all the time because we're trying to manage the darkness. We're trying to keep things concealed. And guess what? You can't get to humility without humiliation. And so what Jesus is saying is that those who are of the light, yeah, they, they step out into the light. But you know what? Once you're in the light, 
nobody can accuse you of anything anymore because everybody can see everything. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? He says, I have come that the truth may set you free. This whole idea of living exposed to the world, yes, it brings humiliation. Yes, it's embarrassing. Yes, it's, yes, it's difficult. But you know what? Just like, just like treating a wound, you've got to get the disinfectant on it. Otherwise, it's going to fester. He says, God is light. See, he says here, we're talking about, talk about God's nature. Look at verse 5. It says, God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. In James chapter 1, we learn that God is good. That he doesn't use evil for any motive. He is pure. Now, let me, let me digress for a second here, okay? So we have this idea that God is pure, and he is. But in a, in a subtle way, we, we try to make the point that God is so good, that he is so pure, that somehow he doesn't want anything to do with us because we're dirty. But that's not true. God loves you. He cares about you. He knows what he cares about you. He's willing to help and he's able to help. Satan wants wants you to hide in the dark because he doesn't want you to be free. That God is good. And just like a surgeon who's got to go and he's got to cut out the cancer, he's going to use the appropriate amount of violence to carve that out of your life. And he's going to do it in a way to where he understands how you're going to heal. He knows what he needs to do to sew you back up, to make you right again so that you can move on and be good. But you know what? you got to go through surgery first. And that surgery is your, is your preliminary exposure to the light. And I'll, I'll tell you, honestly, it sucks. The light sucks at first. But once you've been in the light and all of that crap is gone, all the pressure is gone, all the accusations are gone, all the silent conversations in your head are gone. Oh my goodness, let's go. It is so good. I want to challenge you to be courageous and step into the light. Step into the light because the one who is in the light, the one who is light is good. And he is for you and he wants you. There is nothing that you have done in the dark that he does not know about. Psalm 139 says that no matter where I go, you are there with me. The dark is just like the daytime to you. That's what it says. Because God is good. The light is good. He describes God as light and goodness, his purity of his character. But then he talks about darkness here. Darkness describes unrighteousness and corrupted character. So we have two different kinds of people. We have those who live in the dark and we have those who live in the light. Okay, now we're going to, we're going to, let's, okay, this is going to get a little, I'll be honest with you, this is a little hard for me. Okay. How we live is going to reveal who we belong to. Okay, how we live is going to reveal who we belong to, okay? God made us to bear fruit. We bear fruit. That's what we do, because we are made in His image. The fruit, another, another uh, synonym of fruit is culture. We produce a culture in our lives. Okay, and based on what we plant, it's going to grow. That growth is going to produce a culture. 
And just like fruit shows that there's life, it also is what is what re, where reproduction comes from. So I plant an apple. You guys know this analogy. You plant an apple, that's you're going to grow an apple tree, and you're going to grow tens of thousands of apples. Plant those tens of thousands of apples can make tens of thousands of more trees, hundreds of thousands of apples, exponential growth, compounding interest. Let's look at what the evidence is of both of these kinds of life. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 says this. It says, If we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. How we walk is how we live our lives. Okay, He says if we have fellowship with Christ, just like he said in verse 3, if we have fellowship with Christ, but we walk in darkness, we're lying about who we are. This is an example who says that, of a person who says that they're a Christian, but they live like the world. They disregard the truth. I have been this person in my life. I'm not going to pick on anybody else. I have been this person. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I follow Jesus. Yeah, I do my quiet time. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm teaching at church. I'm, I'm following church. You know, I'm doing all my, the right things. But I'm drinking half a bottle of whiskey before I go to, every, go to bed every night. This is a person who says, I am this way, but they live this way. And I would be here still if I hadn't woken up on September 29, 2016 to a letter on my desk from my wife that said, this is not who you are. And guess what? She reminded me, get back in the light. Because the light is safe. The light is good. Light is a disinfectant. Have you guys ever noticed at Whataburger or at other restaurants how they have these, these blue lights on the wall? You guys ever notice those? It's like, why do they got a bug zapper inside? That's weird. It has, a, it has like a black light, right? It's a disinfecting light, right? Because, because, because light is a disinfectant. It kills certain bacteria. That's why they have them in kitchens and in places where there's food handled. Light is a disinfectant. So this person who they say they're a Christian, but they live like the world. They live like they're in the dark. It's a lie that a person who has fellowship with God can live in open rebellion to him and his nature. You, can't, you, you cannot be in fellowship with God and produce bad fruit. It doesn't work. If I take an apple and I plant it in the ground, what am I going to grow? Oranges? No. In fact, we know what kind of tree it is by what fruit it grows, right? That's how we know. And he says that there's two results to how we love our life. Look at verse 7. He says, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The first thing is he says that, that we, have a, we have fellowship with others who are in Christ. Okay, it's, it's reasonable for us to understand that those who also live in the light are exposed openly would be comfortable with each other. Guess what? This is, one of the, this is one of the brilliant things about godly community. An accountability. Hey, I know your crap. You know my crap. And guess what? If you abuse that knowledge, God's word says, we're going to kick you out. Because you can't live in the light and point out the flaws in other people. In fact, the first thing that Jesus says, if you notice that something's happening with your brother, 
you need to do some introspection first. Take care of the beam that's in your own eye, and then you can go take care of them. But what's interesting is that during that process of taking the beam out of your own eye, a lot of times you will notice whether or not that person's going to be receptive to what you have to say. And, and the Holy Spirit guides you. We've got a responsibility in how we manage and how we steward this knowledge about each other. You can't just go out there and just start lambasting your brother or sister in Christ and think it's okay. That's not how this works. He says you're going to have fellowship with others who are in Christ. And here's the amazing part. Look at what comes next. In verse 7, he says, not only do you have fellowship with one another, he says, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. There's another passage of Scripture that says that if you see a brother who's falling to sin and you go out and you gently get them, you have not only saved yourself from the conflict, but you've also saved your brother. And in that, we express God's first commandment. To love him well enough that we love other people like he loves them. Because being a child of God means that we live in the light and we celebrate the lifestyle of living in the light. Not in cheap accusations, but in kindness. Jesus said, the one thing that people are going to be able to tell about you, that you're one of mine, is how you love one another. This is how they know who you are, who you belong to. So our sins are forgiven, Romans 8.1. That, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul says. But then he, then he follows up with this, that there's another mindset that the person who's living in the dark, they just say, oh, well, I'm not sinful. Look at what he says in verse 8. He says, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Those who live in the darkness will try to say that they're not sinful. In Romans 1, Paul says that these kinds of people, he uses a big word, he uses the word reprobate. They have a reprobate mind. This is a person who lives a convictionless life. Because God's word tells us in the book of Romans that he has, he has made himself known to us. Not just through his, his specific revelation, the Bible, but also in the general revelation of creation. God has presented himself to us. And, and what the Apostle Paul says is that those who take that presentation of God's love and who he is, and they say, no, I don't want any part of that, God will give them exactly what they want. And he will remove conviction from their life. A reprobate mind is a mind that doesn't understand that what they're doing is sinful. He's saying that the truth is not in this type of person. A colorblind person has no idea what color is like. Okay, so, so a colorblind person, a person who, who doesn't belong to the kingdom, they have, no, they have no perspective, no concept at all whatsoever. They're like a colorblind person, right? For them, color is just a shade of grays. Black and white, it's all it is. They can tell you the different shades, but they're not seeing in color. So they're going, to be, they're, they're going to be absent. They're not going to understand. That's why John says that the truth is not in them. Those who say that they are not sinful dismiss not only the reality of their condition, but also they deny the truth of what God has done through Jesus. 
But here's the amazing part is that God is light and light is good. Look at what he says in verse 9. This is, this is the pinnacle of this, this piece of Scripture. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John says here that if, that if we simply confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us and to cleanse us. In other words, he's saying reconciliation is only one decision away. Living in the light is just one decision away. Because you know what? The truth of it is, is this. That thing in your head that occupies 98% of your brain space that you're always obsessing about, that you know is wrong, that you shouldn't be doing, as soon as you let that thought out of your mouth to a brother and sister in Christ and you get it in the light, all of a sudden, it's not as powerful as it once was. And guess what? In the community of fellowship, in the community of the light, guess what? Your brother and sister in Christ are going to help your eyes adjust to the light. And they're going to say, okay, you confessed your sin. You confessed it to me. Now we need to go to, we need to, go to the Lord. We need to make this right with him because you've been living in the dark. We need to get you back in the light. He says that he's faithful. That means... That all of those nights that I was living in rebellion in the darkness, God was still waiting. He was waiting. He was waiting for me to say, I am wrong. And I need you to turn on the light. No matter how much it hurts right now, I trust that, that what you say is true. That you're faithful and you're just. And that you will cleanse me of all of my, my unrighteousness. This is the brilliance, the most amazing thing about our God because light is good and God is light. But then there's others who say, not only am I not sinful, not only have I not sinned, but, he's, but they're going to say, I totally reject the whole concept. Look at, look at verse 10. Verse 10 says, if we say we have not sinned, we have make him a liar and his word is not in us. First we deny the truth by saying, oh no, I haven't sinned. And then we totally just dismiss the whole concept whatsoever. They're saying that there's no standard at all. At all. Remember back in verse 8, John describes someone who says that they are not guilty of disobeying the standard of God's righteousness. Here he's taking it a step further by describing someone who claims that there's no standard at all to disobey. That somehow God has this wrong. That God's the lie. God, why would he do that? I thought he's supposed to be good. Why would he not want me to do what I want? Because like I'm just sitting here with a knife cutting myself. Why would he let me do what I want? Because the wages of sin is death. And God loves you too much to watch you kill yourself. One decision at a time. In other words, these people have elevated themselves to being equal with God. And saying, I don't believe that the standard is just. I haven't sinned. I'm not a sinner. This calls the one who determines the standard, God, a liar and questions his character. No one who is a child of God can do such a thing. So the apostle says that this type of a person does not possess the word. Who is the word? Jesus. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. 
They don't possess the word. They don't possess the truth of the gospel because, because a child of God would not do that. See, there's, there's two characteristics for somebody who's in the light and there's two characteristics for somebody who's in the dark. Okay, if you can, write these down. Okay, the first characteristic of someone who lives in the, in the, in the light is that they want to live righteously. That doesn't mean that they're going to live perfect, but they want to live righteously. There's a desire to be right with God. There's a desire to live holy. They have a desire to be righteous, to live righteously. The second thing is that they want to live in fellowship with God and other believers. They want to be with God and they want to be right with His people. These are two main evidences of someone who who belongs to Christ. I want to live righteously. I know that I'm going to fail, but I want to live righteously as best I can. And I want to be with God and I want to be with His people. And I'm going to make that a priority. Because they're people who live in the light. And if I live in the light, I'm going to live righteously. And I'm going to have fellowship with God and with His people. And my joy is going to be full. But there's two characteristics of someone who lives in the darkness. Okay, the first thing is that they claim that there is nothing wrong with them. The first sign that someone is living in the darkness is that they think that there's nothing wrong with what they're doing. There's nothing wrong with them. I haven't done anything wrong. I, I totally reject the construct. Construct. The second thing is that they call God a liar. They say they, they don't sin. They say that they're fine. There's nothing wrong with what I'm doing. And God is a liar. Because he's not good. Because his people hurt me. Because he was supposed to do this for me. He was supposed to save my sibling that died of addiction. He was supposed to save my parent. He was supposed to save my dad's job. He was supposed to save this. He was supposed to provide me with the next step on my trajectory. But you know what? He's a liar. He's fake. But you know, the truth of that is that I'm mad because I didn't get what I want. That's the truth. Someone who lives in the darkness, they claim that they've done nothing wrong and that they're justified for the way that they feel about God. And the other thing is that they say, oh, the Bible, please, God's people, please. What's so great about them anyway? There's nothing but a bunch of hate in this book. God just hates people. He hates them. They were born a certain way. They want to do a certain thing. God's just a hater. The truth is not in them. But this is important. Because we have to understand where we're going. Okay, look at this last part, these last two verses here, the first two verses in chapter 2. Look at where we're going. Verses 2, verses 1 and 2 says this. He says, My little children, I'm writing, to you, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. John's writing these things to them so that they will be able to live freely without sin. He says, look, 
Live in the light and you will be free. I'm writing, writing these things for you so that you can live free, so that you can be free from sin. Because in the light, all of our deeds can be clearly seen. And guess what? There's grace. He says that we have fellowship with God and, and God forgives our sins if we have fellowship with one another. In verse 7, he says, I'm writing you these things so that you will not sin. The point of chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through chapter 2, verse 2, is that there's an attitude that comes with being a child of the light and being a child of the darkness. A child of the darkness is openly hostile to God and his people. But a child of the light has freedom in Christ because his sacrifice and his advocacy for them to the Father. Look at what he says. He says not only is Jesus the payment for our sin, he not only is the righteous one, but he's also died for everybody who refuses to accept it. Tell me, would God die for people who would reject him if he's not good? No. In this we know that God loves us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you're walking with Jesus, if you have a relationship with Jesus, and you're living in the dark, I want to encourage you. It is false for you to believe that you've got to make yourself right before you can talk to God. That is not true. You do not have to be clean to talk to God, because guess what? He sees you no differently today than he did when you first trusted in him. And you should boldly walk into the throne room of grace because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Get in the light because it sucks to be in the dark. These first two verses of chapter 2 are a description of the freedom that comes from being a child of the light. This passage of Scripture introduces us to the main characters in life. Okay, it's just like in a movie. You guys, you guys if you've watched a movie before, I know you all have. Um, and that was really redundant for me to say that. But you know how the first, like, 10, 15 minutes, you're kind of just figuring out who the characters are, right? These are the good people. These are the bad people in the movie, right? Especially if you're watching, like, a spy movie. We've been watching a lot of spy movies lately at our house. So you have, like, okay, these are the good, are these are the good guys. Are these are the bad guys. What John's doing here in the first chapter here is he's setting this up. He's telling you who the teams are. We've got Team Light over here. We've got Team Dark over here. And over the next, next five weeks, we're going to look at what it looks like on both sides, of the, both sides of the field. He's introducing the main characters of this story, what he's going to describe. And, and there are those who belong to the light and those who belong to the darkness. He's laying down a foundation for us to understand what is the truth about God and what he's doing around us on a daily basis. So let me lay in this plane. I want to challenge you guys. I want to challenge you in a couple of things. First is, how do you see God's people? How do you see God's people? Do you want to be around them or not? And if you, and if you profess to know Jesus and you don't want to be around his people, you need to ask yourself why. Because chances are somebody said something to you sometime that made you upset because they didn't do what you wanted them to do. And now it's not about what happened anymore. It's that that person is living rent-free in your head and it's just making you miserable. How do you feel about God's people? Have you made them a priority? 
Or maybe you have trusted God's people and somebody's hurt you again. I will tell you right now, God's word says that that person who hurts you again, when you try to try to, to reveal yourself to them and step into the light with them, God is going to judge that person severely. Because we have a responsibility to be good stewards of the light. And if you come to me and are vulnerable and you ask me for something, you ask me for, for help or confess something to me, and I turn around and I hurt you, God, be merciful. But that's not on you. That shouldn't keep you from God. That shouldn't keep you from his community. Because if you love God, you're going to want to be with his people. Don't don't let that be an excuse. And I'll be honest, sometimes I don't want to be around people. But the truth is that every time I get up and I'm with people that live in the light, I walk away and I am so glad that I did. Because in that is joy. It's joy to be, to be part of a body, to be used, to be equipped, and to, be, and to serve. Now, I know, I know that this is, a, this is a church crowd and pretty much all of us have grown up in church. But I have to ask you, from what I've described tonight about light and darkness, do you belong to Jesus? I know we talk about a lot of, a lot of things in here, but if we don't get this part right, then nothing else matters. Do you know Jesus? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Are you, do you spend time with him and his word and get joy? Do you spend time with his people and get joy? And if you don't, if, if church has worked for you, if reading your Bible has worked for you, chances are we need to get something right. And I want to ask you, I want to plead with you, don't leave here tonight if you don't know Jesus. Because it is the most life-changing thing that you could possibly do is to know Jesus. Because here's the truth, is that most people live their whole lives and they never know what it's really like to chase Jesus. Because they have They've grown up in a culture. They know the secret handshakes. They know, they know the, the words to say, when to stand up, when to sit down, what songs to sing, how to look emotional when you're praying or you're praising. They, knew, they know all the emotional cues, but they don't know Jesus. And they walk around in silent desperation and they ask, please, God, just give me some relief. I want to challenge you. Turn your life over to Jesus. Do it. Because life in the darkness is hard and it sucks and it's not fun. It's not freeing. The end of that road is dark and it's cold. Step into the light and be free. And if, and if you have questions about that, please come talk to me. I want to I talk about it. Because th- if there's anything that we do, that's, this, is the, this is the biggest thing. If you do know Jesus and you're a child of the light, What evidence in your life proves your point of view? Do you have joy? Do you have peace? Do you have love? Are you kind? Are you patient? What about your life says that you are a child of the light? Because if those things aren't there, but instead it's other things like selfish ambition, 
reckless lifestyle, drunkenness. All of these things are fruits of the flesh. If you don't believe me, look at, look at Galatians chapter 5. There is a better way to live. What proof, what evidence in your life says who you belong to? The key verse here in this whole piece of Scripture is, verse, is chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is faithful. God is light, and light is good. If you don't know Jesus, I want to talk to you. No matter how insecure you might think right now, I want, you to, I want to talk to you tonight before you leave. Even if it's you got to text me afterwards and we need to talk on the phone. Because I want each of you to know what it's like to live in the light and to be free. What's up, everybody? This is Philip Jackson, pastor of young adults at Evergreen Church. I want to invite you to come to Reach. We meet every Tuesday evening at 6.30 at Evergreen Church, just east of Mingo on 111th Street. For more information, check out our website, reachtulsa.org. You can connect with us on social media and on Instagram by searching for reach.tulsa. Also, be sure to subscribe to our content for the latest sermons and updates. You can also find us on Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Bring your glory down.